Dadhood. Modern Dadhood Podcast. <laughs> and welcome back, everyone. Hello, listeners. We're so bad at starting these things. I know. It's the same every time. Never feels natural. Mm-mm. Maybe someday. Dads, welcome to Modern Dadhood. This is an ongoing conversation about the joys, challenges, and general insanity of being a dad in this moment. My name's Adam Flaherty. I'm a dad of two daughters, six and three. And my name is Mark Checkett, and I'm a dad of twin boy toddlers. Did that sound very announcery? Yeah. Good. But you want to do it again? Nah. So, Mark. That's me? I'm not going to bring up all of the weird stuff that's happening in the world right now, but I'm going to say, aside from all that, Mm -hmm. what's new? We haven't chatted in a bit. That's true. No, we haven't chatted in a little bit. And um, I'm, I'm excited to say I have experienced my first trip to the ER as a dad. It was was not, it was not for me, but rather for one of my kids. First trip to the ER. What happened? Uh, first of all, he's fine. Well, I'll get that out of the way. Good. He's fine. Was this an allergic reaction or something? No, 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 not unless he's allergic to dog bites. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shoot. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, we have a small dog and, uh, She's a little old, and I think from time to time she kind of gets startled. She's not an aggressive dog. She's a very good dog, uh, and she usually actually just keeps to herself. But it was one of those things. You know, we all say it as parents, like, I turned my back for two seconds, and boom. Was he trying to eat food out of the the dog's bowl? No, he gets away with that without the dog ever knowing. He's really good at that. No, they were all out playing on the deck, and uh, I don't know. You know, my wife was kind of doing something in the kitchen and I was watching them and turned away for about a half a second. And we heard a scuffle with a loud bark and then a high pitched scream and then some dog toenails Mm. scraping across the deck. And we went running and, um, it was terrifying at first. I'll be um, like, I'm kind of making light of it because, because he's okay, but it was terrifying at first because we ran out. He was sitting there, and he had a matchbox car in each hand because that's just like those are like permanent fixtures. And he was rubbing his face back and forth, uh, you know, and just screaming like high pitched and tears streaming down his face. And we got a couple steps closer to him and we noticed that his uh, like his lower lip was just just blood everywhere, just uh. pouring out of this fairly what looked like a fairly deep puncture wound. So, I mean, we gathered that he was sitting down, the dog is small and is at sort of face height when she's standing and he must have startled her or something like that. And, and she retaliated and bit. Yikes. So were there there any stitches? No stitches. And he has since healed very well. It's almost gone completely. Was there a puncture on the inside and the outside of the lip? There were two on the outside. And there was one that was big and open. And then there was another one next to it that what we were afraid was it had gone all the way through from one to the other that like he got like a weird frontal lip piercing or something. That's what we were nervous about. And the poor other son is sort of running around back and forth 
between Jamie, who is out on the phone, and me here, and he doesn't know what to do with himself. And he's kind of like, hey, pay attention to me. <laughs> but also like, hey, I'm kind of a little scared. Can somebody tell me what's going on? Which was that in and of itself was really sad because he would run into the bathroom and I would look at him and I would say, buddy, not right now. Go to your mom. Dude, well, that that's some scary stuff. I'm so glad he's fine. But I got to ask, where does that leave you and the dog? Oh, we we killed the dog. Like with your bare hands? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I. Comedian uh, Tom Segura actually has a really funny bit about this exact thing, about how so many people consider their dog to be like a member of their family. And his stance is like, my dog is not a member of my family. And here's how I can prove it to you. Yeah. If the, if the, <laughs> the second that the dog bites one of my kids, I am going to take it by the neck and oh. drown it. <laughs> and oh then show God. it to my kid and, and say... I did this. I did this for, for you. you. <laughs> That's great. That's why I want to check that out. Um, no, I mean, I mean, ultimately, it was our fault. We have to take the blame for not running interference. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things where we're going to be a lot more cautious for a while. I thought about opening this up by also asking you a question. Sure. Which was simply, do you remember hearing the term social distancing ever being said before March of this year? Oh, I don't. I actually, I I can say fully confidently that I had have never heard the phrase before they started using it in relation to the virus. And you? No, me neither. That's, and I'm genuinely curious because it's, we say it every day now, you know, it's just a part of the lexicon and it's just, it sort of struck me as, gosh, I spent a long time in alive having never said that phrase before. And now it's just so common. Or even considered the act of it, right? The yeah. idea that you might actually have to stand a certain distance apart from people that you care about. Yeah, it seems like something out of, I mean, it, it truly seems like something out of a, a science fiction, you know, novel or something like that. I did hear a, a, a soundbite of, I think it was Obama from when he was president talking about pandemics. And he said the phrase in, in like, a, he was talking about the, the steps you take when something like a pandemic hits. And I wonder, maybe we just never noticed it being said before. Maybe. Was it a phrase before that, or was that something that he or his speechwriters developed? I don't know. I mean, it is a common sense phrase. I mean, what else are you going right, to call it? Right. Anyway, I need to know where you were going with that. We got a, we're recording an episode here. Oh, wait, what? Is that what this is? <laughs> I thought we were just hanging, bro. Um, no, yeah, I mean, you know, I it's just one of those things. And, and on one hand, society is socially distancing from one another. We're not in the same room as our colleagues. We're staying apart even from our neighbors or extended family. The other side of that coin, I kind of had this realization recently that we are in a lot closer proximity with our immediate family. Yeah. You and I are both married. We both have kids. We've been in the same house, right? 
not as one another, but we've been in the same house with our families for a lot longer in a lot tighter quarters than probably ever before. I mean, maybe when we came home from the hospital, all, all four of us here were at the house together. Obviously, it was a different circumstance. Absolutely. And it's not lost on me that, you know, you and I are privileged in some ways when it comes to this because we have a spouse and we have children and there are ways for us to entertain ourselves and still have that that social component to our lives when there are a lot of people out there who are living on their own or who are in a nursing home and can't see their family Mm -hmm. or in a city. Right. With people on top and below you and on side. I mean, I think I used to live in New York City. You know, we lived in a tiny apartment on the Upper East Side, surrounded by people on all sides. The entrance to get in and out was a hallway that if somebody was coming towards you, you had to each back up against the wall to get by one another. I mean, it was that. And and I, I feel for people like that. And I guess you're right. Like we sort of are in this, we're in this environment where we're privileged enough to be able to, I guess, here's how I think about it. I am lucky to be in a position to continue to stay at home for the foreseeable future. There are people that have to be concerned with going out, you know, and those of us that can stay home. Now this is turning into like a crazy soapbox thing, but like those of us that can stay home fucking should, (laughs) you know? Yeah, of course. We're just going to stay home. We're not going to risk it. Why, why create additional risk when there's other people who are business owners, you know, who my heart breaks for, who, who, whose businesses may not survive this or like you said, those essential workers who are putting their their lives on the line for other people. And as much as I love going to a restaurant or going to a concert, I'm not chomping at the bit to get back to it. Probably primarily because I have people in my life whose immune systems are compromised. And I'll be damned if I'm going to be responsible for risking their lives because I need to do something that I would consider in some ways a luxury, even if it's something that I've taken for granted in the past. But that's something that a lot of people are having to adjust to. And that kind of got me thinking and the thoughts were kind of snowballing. And then a good friend of mine popped into my head because I had realized that I was thinking a lot about my situation. Yeah. And it's not the same for everybody. There are essential workers out there who do not have the luxury of being crammed in the same space with their family. In fact, they're distancing from their own family in some cases. And just having to distance from your own kids, it just really, it just sort of sent me down on this this path of thinking about the different circumstances that people are having to deal with surrounding distancing. And this friend of mine that I, that I mentioned, I was, I was talking with a, a little while back. He's in the military. So his situation at times is extremely different than my own. He's married. Uh, He has a daughter who's two and a half years old. And I thought it would be super eye-opening for our listeners to hear this friend of mine talk a little bit about his family life in terms of having to deal with some pretty extreme distance from time to time. And so here's our interview with a longtime friend of mine, Kevin White. Kevin White, dude, I'm so happy to have you on 
the show. Thank you for finding time to be on Modern Dadhood. Absolutely. I appreciate the invite and the opportunity to come, uh, come talk with you guys. So let's clear the air right out of the gate. How long have you and I known each other? Uh, preschool. So I think we, I think I still have the preschool picture of us somewhere. Um, but yeah, since, since preschool goes all the way back, way, way back. Yeah. I'm slightly taller now. Nah, (laughs) nah. all right, maybe. So I wanted to give listeners just a little bit of context before we get too far into the meat of this episode, but you are in the military. Can you tell everybody what branch you're in? I am. Uh, I'm an army officer. Uh, I was commissioned uh, out of Clemson University and have spent the last 16 years, almost 17 years on active duty, currently stationed at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas and living in Kansas City, Missouri, currently deployed, not really deployed uh, to San Antonio, Texas. You said you're currently deployed, but not really deployed. What do you mean by that? So I'm on what's called a uh, temporary duty mission. Uh, and so it's, it's in, for, for this one, it's an unknown time length. And so we just got, we got a mission to come down here to San Antonio to help with what's going on right now. And so it's somewhat like a deployment in the way that we treat the operation here of uh, shift work, 24 hour operations, uh, like much like what we've done in Afghanistan, Iraq. But again, you're stateside, and so that's kind of the, the big difference with what we have going on here. So it's hard to say you're, you're, you're deployed when you're stateside, but um, with what we're doing to, to combat the, the COVID virus, um, it, it's much like a deployment. So there's no immediate physical danger to you aside from potential exposure to the virus? Correct. So you are married, and your, your wife is not in the military, Correct. She is not. She is uh, ran as an occupational therapist by trade and by schooling. Uh, being an OT, she's uh, she's very skilled for 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 doing this stay at home mom and and teaching Abriel, our our daughter, all the time. And so she's coming up with stuff all the time, and and it's amazing. Like I get the videos during the day, even even when I was back at home of of things they're doing. I was like, that's awesome! I can't mm-hmm. wait to get home so I can be a part of this. <laughs> totally. uh, and for our listeners, uh, just some clarification. So you have one daughter and how old is she? Uh, she is two and a half, just turned two and a half in, in March. Uh, so she is in that stage of everywhere all the time uh, and, and talking constantly. So she's a, she's a lot of fun. I want to rewind just a little bit, a couple of years. So let's go back. Your wife is pregnant. Rain is pregnant. You mean you're already in the military. You've been in the military for a while. You, you've already moved around all over the world. But now your wife's pregnant. Can you... Talk to us a little bit about the conversation that you guys had to sort of prepare yourselves for leading a essentially kind of like a nomadic life. I mean, you sometimes have to pick up and, and move sometimes with them in cases like right now, sometimes without them. What were those conversations like back then at that time? Uh, so it's hard. Raina is one of those people that loves being around her family um, and has a great family and great support back in Kentucky where she's from and where we met. For me, I have a great family support as well, but that was never something that I, um, that I was tied to of, of being at home, being close to them. It was I, when I went to school, I went 10 hours south down to Clemson from my family in Pennsylvania. And so I was used to that. That was the life that I chose and have done for the past 14 years before we met. And so 
this was hard for her, the military lifestyle before having a child and, and, you know, being away from her family. And so that was something that we talked about a lot um, and always tried to find a way to get back as much as we can, especially for her family. And so having, having a child bringing uh, a daughter into this was hard as well. And uh, you don't have the support structure. You don't have the family that's close by that say, Hey, I got to run to the store. I need to take a shower. Can you come over and watch her? You rely so much more on each other. And the people that are your neighbors at the time, you know, you, you may not know them very well, but a lot of times you build relationships very quickly and you have to, because that's all you have a lot of times, especially when you do deployments. And so we found out we were pregnant in January and moved to DC in May. And for the first three months, three and a half months of that, we didn't know where we were going. We know we were moving, but we didn't know where we were going. And so you know that you've got that uh, life in a suitcase mentality. And some of that is you embrace because, you know, you want to teach that to your kids and say, Hey, look, there's an adventure out there. Let's go have it. Yeah. So that's interesting. You, you use the word adventure. I wonder if you would have ever used that word before Abriel came into the picture when you're sitting her down and saying, I got to go away for a while. How do you have that conversation? What is, what's the language that you use to talk to her? So two and a half, uh, she understands a lot and she's definitely advanced for her, for her age. Um, Raina's done a phenomenal job of, of that, uh, getting her head on things, but two and a half still a little, little bit young to truly go to that language, I think. And so what we, with this one, and this is really the first time that I've been gone for a substantial amount of time that she, she recognizes it. The way we kind of explain this one is, Hey, daddy's got to go away for work for a while and we'll still talk, but you won't see me for a while the next move that we make will really be that, uh, that first time that we can have that, that discussion and, and really frame it probably the way we want to, to kind of teach her and open her up to it. Thinking forward, have you and your wife talked about how you might frame that for her? And I'm sure part of it depends on whether it's a deployment within the States or whether it's something where there is a threat of harm involved, but have you thought about the language that you might use or how you might frame that to her when she's older, four or five? No, um, honestly, we've, we've kind of waited on that one, you know, 17 years in now I've watched other guys in my, in my organization, in my unit, um, that have gone through that and it's never an easy, an easy discussion either way. And, and so you see, you know, you think, oh, as the kids get older, it gets easier. Well, you have different needs. The kids have different needs at that point in time. And so it's, it's never easy no matter when it is, but no, to be honest, I, I don't know. I don't know how we would do that yet. What kind of things are you and Raina doing to deal with the distance? And is is it getting harder the longer that you're gone? Yeah, it is. And it doesn't get easier. Um, and the more you're, the longer you're gone, you start getting into your routine and they start getting into their routine without you. And so it's harder to integrate yourself back in without disrupting because that's the other part you don't want to do is they've got their routine and they've got to keep going and she's by herself. And so you you've got to kind of, figure out where it is you fit in and what the right mix is. You know, as I was saying, it's a 24-hour mission here. And so my work schedule doesn't, isn't always conducive to being a part of things. And so I go in at about five in the morning and I get done, you know, late in the afternoon here. And so I'll get a call once they get up and basically finishing breakfast, we'll do a FaceTime call and I'll get to see her finishing up breakfast and talk to her and say good morning. Uh, but that's a quick call because that's in the middle of my day. And then before she goes down for a nap and then same thing in the evening while they're finishing up dinner, 
And so we try to keep those same things that we did at home or, you know, after dinner, a lot of times we do after dinner dance party. So she'll run over and, and say, play the song, play fine by me. And so then we, we dance in the living room and I dance in the hotel room to kind of keep that going before she goes to bed and before I go to bed. Yes, it's interesting. It sounds like you're trying as much as time will allow to just maintain some of the normalcy of what you would be doing if you weren't deployed right now. Yeah, the, the, the dad things that you like to do, the, uh, you know, as you guys talked about on previous episodes, the roughhousing, the playing around, the goofing around, you know, you, that's, you know, that was the stuff that I love to do at home, coming home mm-hmm. from work that you don't get to do now. You try to do that over FaceTime of, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act like I'm doing it, but it, it's not the same. There's sort of this immediate nature to your line of work, meaning that when you're going to get deployed, you don't have all that much notice, right? It could be, could it be a few days or a few weeks. And I would imagine that it's probably the same coming home, right? Maybe you have some rough idea of when you'll be home, but not an exact day. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, and, and it's honestly less than that. Um, we, we got told plan for 90 days, but there's discussions ongoing. And so it could be tomorrow I get told, hey, you're going home. Uh, or it could be, you know, two weeks from now. It must be hard to not get their hopes up that you're going to be home at a certain time when it actually could be two weeks or two months later than you originally thought. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, as much as it goes for the kids, it goes for your, for your wife at home too. Uh, she is ready to, you know, in this case, especially she's ready to get me home, but it's um, it, the same thing is you don't want to tell too much. You don't want to tell too little. Uh, and so this was one that we, you know, for our daughter in this, in this instance, um, I didn't tell her till the morning I was leaving uh, that we were, that I was going to be gone for a while because one, it was changing you know, this was a developing situation that we were trying to still figure out how we were getting here, what we were doing when we were leaving. And, you know, the date had shifted from Friday to Saturday to Sunday to Mm -hmm. possibly Monday. And so we didn't say anything until, you know, bags were basically packed in the car. Uh, She came up for breakfast. I sat and had breakfast with them and said, okay, dad's got to go. Dad's got to go for a while. I'll I'll see you soon. Yeah. Like one one of the things we talk about a lot on the podcast is, um, sorry, Yeah, sure. I see. Yeah, you- Marina's trying to FaceTime. I'm sure that the. <laughs> hey, I'm on a, a Zoom call with Mark for the podcast. Oh, sorry. Hi, Raina. Mark said hi. Can you hear me? Can you tell me how to open the in cartridge on this? Like, where is the thing? It's uh, on the on the side. On this, like out here. Yep. Pull that part oh, right. No one back. This is great. This is like a. This is like a, this is a first in modern data history. I'll talk to you later. She, yeah, she's gone. Uh, had to had to fix the printer. That's real life. That's that normalcy we're talking about. Yeah. So we had. Uh, so again, going back to that that neighbor uh, thing, we had one of our one of our neighbors came over and replaced the safety valve and and fixed it for us. Cleaned it out, fixed it, put a new one back on for us. One of the things that we talk about sometimes on this podcast is that like we tend to whether it's happening subconsciously or not sort of shape the types of dads that we are a little bit in the image of our own upbringing. And neither of your parents were in the military. Your mom wasn't like a sniper or anything that I don't know about. Right. We can't talk about that. Oh uh, man. Yeah. Rita and her cookies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, she was not. My, my dad was though. Okay. So that was, I never knew him as, as being in the military. So it must've happened a long time ago. So what's funny is I, I knew my dad was in, but I never knew any details, anything until after I had already decided I was joining and, and really had signed my contract is the first time he really talked about it. 
but yeah, he was in during Vietnam, never talked about it, never was never a thing that he pushed on me or, you know, I said, talked about it all until I had already made my decision that that's what I was going to do. You think about the military, um, there's often a lot of very young people involved in the military and oftentimes a lot of young families that get sort of thrust into these types of situations that you're, that we've been talking about since you've gone through it a little bit. What's one piece of advice you would give to a new young father who hasn't gone away yet, but sort of needs to prepare themselves for that time when it comes. So (laughs) it's a great question, Mark. Um, the deployments are hard um, and it's harder for the family at home than it is for the service member that is deployed. It is much harder for the family at home. Um, and, and I use the perspective of um, a deployed soldier to Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, some, are, some are overseas versus what I'm doing currently. Um, but it would still hold true essentially here, I think, a little bit as well. Uh, I think Brandon would probably tell you it's, it's the same now. But it's harder for them because there's the unknown, right? They don't know what you're doing. They don't know if you're safe, if you're not, what, what, what job it is you're truly doing, especially again in, in Iraq, you're, you're outside the wire. There's, there's that threat of, uh, of being hurt, being injured uh, by an enemy force, somebody. They don't know, you know, and you have confidence in what you're doing and your abilities and in, in the, the, the job that you're doing. And you know, that you, you know, how well you're doing and, and how much risk you truly are in, uh, but they don't. And so until you call and say, I'm okay, uh, they don't know. And so it's much harder being on that side. And so, you know, the advice is, um, is, is to put yourself kind of in that position and, and think about it that way, um, that it's much harder for them than it is for you. And so the more you can communicate, the more you can make the effort. Um, and it is hard because you're there to do a job. You absolutely are. Um, and it is hard to, to step away from that. And, and it's very easy to get sucked in completely where, you've got to focus on the mission and the job that you're doing, but you gotta, um, you gotta take the time to, to make the effort and, and make the call home, write the email, do the call when you can to make sure that the family knows that you're okay, because it is that much harder for them than it is for you. So your daughter has never known you to be in combat. Correct. Do you have conversations about that side of serving in the military, violence, weapons, guns, that sort of thing? No, we, we haven't. Um, I'm, I'm sure that will come up eventually. You know, she sees me come home every day in my uniform, you know, there, there are guns in the house, they're in the safe. And so that is, you know, that's part of my lifestyle, part of, uh, you know, what we do. And that, that discussion will come up. She sees the, my flight helmet up on the shelf. She sees the, you know, she sees that stuff and she knows, you know, Daddy's in the, in the army and she knows that I fly a helicopter, but she doesn't, she's not there yet. Uh, but I, like I said, I expect in the next, uh, next couple of years, we'll definitely be having those conversations. Kevin. So fast forward, try to put yourself in the position of 15 or 16 years from now. If your two and a half year old daughter is now 17, 18 and expresses interest in serving in the military in some capacity, what do you think your reaction will be to that? Um, it would, so I, I hope, uh, that much like my dad did for me is he, you know, kind of step aside, put my feelings aside. Mm-hmm. And so if she makes that decision on her own. Uh, I certainly, I, I don't think, uh, looking again, I I've had a good experience. It's done a lot of great things for me. And so, 
as a female, uh, that's a different dynamic as well for her. Uh, I would definitely have a discussion with her of, you know, some things to consider, some things to think about, but it, it's not something I would stop her from doing or necessarily advocate for. If she's If that's where she wants to go, then by all means, I'll support her if that's what she wants to do. <laughs> Who knows where we are in 15 years? There's a lot of time between now and when she's 17, 18 years old. Is there a certain camaraderie that exists among the other army dads? I think your question quota was up, Mark. Um, <laughs> Did no, I just trip uh, over into uh, uncomfortable territory? No, I... Um, Yes. Um, and you, and you see it, uh, on, especially on things like this where, you know, in the middle of the day you got, I'll, I'll sit on my computer now or I'll step onto the hallway and, and take a FaceTime call. I mean, so you see that and you talk about it. Hey, what's your, you know, what are your kids up to today? What's the wife doing with the kids today? Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you, there absolutely is, um, that, that camaraderie with it. There's that connection. Kevin, First and foremost, thank you for all that you've done for this country in your career. It's been a long one, and you're a good guy, and I'm very proud to call you. Now you're just lying. It's the only time I'm going to say it, so you better let me get through it. (laughs) Don't cry. I'm very proud to call you my friend, and I know you're a good person. I know you're a great dad, and um, thanks for being on this show. It means a lot to me. This is the part of the show where we generally like to do a fun segment. Correct. I understand that you have an idea for a new segment. That's right, Adam. Thanks for that introduction. (laughs) This new segment is called Confessions. Were your levels peaking on that? Probably. Want me to do it again? Yeah, just because I want to put some echo on it. This new segment is called Confessions. And it's self-explanatory, so... It is. Begin. Okay. Last night, I stood inside the pantry and ate handful after handful of chips so the kids wouldn't see me and ask to have some chips. Confessions. 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 Nearly every night... After the girls go to bed, my wife and I sit on the couch and watch a show. If they ever found out that we were watching TV without them, they'd lose their minds. Confession. Confession. Confessions. Confessions. <laughs> Confessions was great. It's going to be a hit. Great idea. It's going to be a hit. I hate to say it, Adam, but I think this is the end of our time together. It always comes so fast. It does. So damn fast. This one flew by in a matter of minutes. Dads and moms who are listening, find us at moderndadhood.com or listen to us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. But wherever you happen to listen, please subscribe, rate, and review us. It means so much. And please tell your friends, if you're digging the show, word of mouth really helps us a a ton. You can drop us a line anytime at hey, H-E-Y, at moderndadhood.com. Tell us what's up with you. Uh, If you need us to give your friend a little nudge to get them to listen, 
if the word of mouth thing just isn't working and they need that extra little motivation, we'll call them, we'll text them, we'll do whatever it takes. Thank you to Casper Baby Pants, Spencer Albee, and Bubby Lewis for our amazing music. And to Pete Morse at Red Vault Audio at... <clears throat> and to Pete Morse at Red Vault Audio for pressing all of those EQ buttons. Check them out at redvaultaudio.com. And most importantly, is it most importantly? We always say that. Is it most importantly? Like how important are the listeners? Really? We've talked about it before, but would we be doing this if people weren't listening? Yes. In some ways, this is like therapy for us. It is a little bit. But I, you know what? Here's the thing. It brings a little bit of joy into my life knowing that there's someone out there listening. Knowing that Keith Belanger's out there wearing a modern dadhood t-shirt. <laughs> and Rick Gothier Jr. Yeah, old Ricky. Is, is out there just just taking in our s- stupid recurring segments <laughs> and tolerating it. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Ricky. We love you all. Thanks for listening to Modern Dadhood.